1: Picture the scene, it's last Thursday evening. A couple are sitting at a little table outside a bar in Bordeaux. Cobbled streets, glasses of red wine, deep and animated conversation. It's France, exactly as you'd imagine it. Except for this. In the background, the street is on fire. Literally on fire, flames leaping 10 feet in the air. In the video posted online, someone has written at the bottom, Bienvenue en France, welcome to France. This is just the latest in a wave of protests, strikes and nationwide riots since January. About three-quarters of a million people joined marches on Tuesday. On security advice, King Charles had to call off his state visit. The police have used tear gas and stun grenades, and hundreds and hundreds of people have been arrested. On paper, it's all about pensions. President Macron wants people to work an extra two years, retiring at 64 instead of 62. But it's also about something much bigger than that. This movement represents human rights, like it's a philosophy of life. It's pas la not democracy. It's just incredible, and impossible and intolerable aujourd'hui. You're listening to Stories of Our Times, from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Sean O'Neill. Today, The French Protests Explained.
2: My name's Peter Conradi. I'm the Europe editor of The Sunday Times, and I'm based in Paris. You've been out on the streets
1: talking to people. You know people all over Paris. Peter, tell me about the strikes and the protests that have been taking place.
2: The the protests that we're seeing essentially started at the beginning of January when President Emmanuel Macron announced that he was going to introduce his pension reform. Will we have to work longer in 2023? 2023? Which he had mentioned already in his manifesto when he was re elected last April, but which he then announced on New Year's Eve. This is going to be the big reform this year. I'm going to put it through Parliament. This year will be the year of pension reforms which aim to ensure the system is balanced for the years and decades to come. What we've seen since the beginning of the year is essentially a battle over this reform, the main thrust of which is to increase the retirement age from 62, which is pretty low, to 64. And that
1: that has played out in some extraordinary scenes. And I understand you've had some of the violence on the streets has has actually been on your own street. Is that right?
2: (laughs) It has indeed, yes. I was quite surprised a few days ago to go out down my street in, in the southeast of Paris near Bastille. And there, slap bang in the middle of the street was a burning bin, you know, a big wheelie bin on its side, flames coming out of it. Had that happened to me in London, I think I would be quite shocked. In Paris, I thought, oh, you know, here's a bin, it's almost like the first cuckoo of spring, I suppose, the first burning <laughs> bin on my street. And then a few minutes later, dutifully, uh, the fire brigade came along, they jumped out and, and, and put out the bin, as indeed on that particular evening, they'd probably put out hundreds of other bin fires across Paris
0: saw some clashes and also some garbage piles uh, burning in front of the demonstration. We saw the police uh, charging. Uh, this is what we've been seeing in recent days, essentially in recent evenings in some cities in Paris.
1: Tuesday was the 10th day of general strikes since the protests began in January, as you say. Of the people you've spoken to, why do they say they're striking or that they're protesting? What's the motivation? What's their reasoning?
2: There are a number of things going on here simultaneously. The fundamental issue is obviously the increase in, in, in the pension
0: age. Retirement at 64 years old means leaving your job and going straight to the cemetery for most people. Our ancestors fought for this. We must continue the fight.
2: And that essentially has motivated workers. It's been organised by the trade unions. And what we've had is a series of one-day, very sort of wide strikes involving transport, involving. Teachers involving whole numbers of other people. So these strikes have been going on since the beginning of January, probably about one a week or so. Those have been drawing people out onto the streets, largely peacefully. You know, these have been really organized marches, there have been the usual banners, there's been the usual chanting. (laughs) the usual, for France, heavy police presence, but these have been essentially peaceful. Superimposed on top of that, you've got the kind of group of people that the the French call the casseurs, largely young people who want to go out and smash things up, basically. They will pick up paving stones, they will throw them at the riot police, they will set fire to bins. Uh, occasionally, they will overturn cars if things are turning particularly violent.
1: To a lot of people in Britain, this seems quite alien, but it seems to be very much part of like, the French protest tradition to resort to violence quickly. Is, is that fair to say?
2: There is a considerable contrast, I think, between France and, and Britain. I've lived in France for the past five years, and I've been struck by quite how fast things escalate here. Here it's, I think, almost accepted, one could say, on both sides that, you know, paving stones are there for a reason. They're there to be picked up and they're to be thrown at police. But on the other side, you also have a form of policing, which is very, very tough.
1: Much more um, aggressive, isn't it?
2: It's very aggressive indeed. And it, it's it's quite scary. I mean, I've I've been caught in the middle of it, Particularly a few years back during the, the so called uh, yellow vest protests, it's a pretty scary experience. The police are all kitted out with full riot gear, with sticks. One can be standing there in what appears to be a relatively peaceful situation. That the police suddenly decide that they want to clear an area. And so, without any warning whatsoever, they charge and woe betide anyone that gets caught in in their wake. You know, there is no attempt to reason with protesters. You know, they're almost like sort of alien stormtroopers, as it were, you know, from a a computer game. And so, you know, it's no surprise, I think, that that things really do then escalate on both sides.
1: And what do the, the protesters you've spoken to, what are they saying to you about
2: why they're there and what they're doing? The main complaint of people that I've spoken to, uh, sort of working people in their their 30s, in their 40s, 50s or whatever, is that they feel that they shouldn't have to work another two years.
0: We 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 haven't been heard or listened to, said this oil refinery worker. We're using the only means we have left. It's the hard strike.
2: They went through their working life so far, expecting that they were going to retire at 62. And they don't want to work until 64. But there is also an anger among them about the way that the government has put the reform through, because President Macron wanted to put the reform through Parliament. However, at the last moment, he realized that he wouldn't necessarily have the majority to do that. And so he put it through parliament by decree. President Emmanuel Macron is forcing through his controversial pension reforms without a parliamentary vote. There's a measure in the, the French constitution, which everyone, everyone knows in France, called Article 49.3, which allows the government to put through legislation in that way.
0: So it fell to the prime minister, Elisabeth Vaughan, to break the news. On the basis of Article 49.3 of the Constitution, I engage the responsibility of my government on the pension reform bill.
2: And that's really inflamed passions, particularly with young people, increasing numbers of whom one's been seeing at the protests. For them, on one level, it is about, are they going to retire in 2063 or are they going to retire in 2065, which seems a an absurdly long way away. But there is a more fundamental, I think, thing for them, which is this is somehow non-democratic. I mean, it's not. It's part of the French constitution. The president's entitled to do this, but there is still the feeling that this is something that is being foisted on Mm. them. And it's something that is opposed by parliament and is opposed by the people.
1: And as you say, that that I mean, that sense of something anti-democratic happening has really stirred up passion and would you say it's brought more people onto the street than that might just protest against the pension reform?
2: Certainly. I mean, we've had 10 of these days of protest so far since the beginning of the year. Attendance hit a peak Thursday of last week. Just over a million people turned out across the country, according to the, the government estimates. And that was in direct response, I think, to the government's decision to push the measure through parliament without a vote. So there there is no doubt that that has radicalised people. You know, it's turned it into a kind of a political crisis, really, for the government.
1: Nonetheless, given that... Macron was still elected on a platform where he promised to reform the pension system. So he could claim democratic legitimacy for this, couldn't he?
2: Well, yes, he certainly does claim democratic legitimacy because, I mean, if one looks back to the election last April that brought him a second term, I think the only memorable thing was to raise the pension age. However... When you vote for a president, you vote for president in two rounds. The first round, as it's always said, you vote with your heart, you vote for the candidate who you really want to be president. And then there is a second round runoff a couple of weeks later, in which you are forced to choose between two people. This time round, that second round runoff was between Macron and Marine Le Pen, leader of the far right National Rally Party.
0: I will bring back France's sovereignty in all areas, which means the freedom for the French people to decide for themselves and defend their interests. I will control immigration and reestablish security for all.:
2: A lot of people say, I voted for Macron, but I didn't vote for him because of the pension reform. I voted essentially against Marine Le Pen. I didn't want France to be taken over by the far right. And that's used by Macron's critics, essentially, to undermine this claim of democratic legitimacy.
1: So he said at Stollard, he wants to do this reform. Tell us why, what's his rationale? What does he hope to achieve? I mean, what is the economic problem he's tackling?
2: The economic problem, essentially, is that if you look at the figures, French people are just retiring too early. I mean, if one, if one looks back to the early 80s. And the early 80s were significant. 1981, when François Mitterrand, the socialist president, put down the retirement age, which had been 65, he reduced it to just 60. There were just over 30 million people of working age, and there were about 7.5 million people over 65. So, you know, those 30 million were effectively supporting the 7.5 million. Now, the working population's gone up ever so slightly, but rather than having 7.5 million people retired, they've got 17.7 million.
1: 17.7 million people retired and living on the state pension.
2: Exactly. And they're being supported by about 31.7 million, I think. Obviously, if you look forward, that situation is going to get worse. I think what one has to understand is that the French pension system is organised quite differently from the British system. Obviously, in both countries, there is a state pension. In Britain, increasing numbers of people have have private pensions, they have workplace pensions. And in Britain, there is a sort of a degree of flexibility about when you actually retire. You are sort of deciding in a lot of cases when you can afford to leave the labour force. In France, the pension system is different. It's much more in the hands of of the state. And if the government says, you thought you were going to retire at 62, you're now going to retire at 64, there's not a lot you can do about it.
1: One thing I've been wondering, the French economy seems to be pretty resilient, pretty strong, despite predictions for many years that, that its model is unsustainable.
2: Yes, that is almost the French paradox, I must say. Coming here from Britain, one is always struck by what a great time the French seem to be having. There seem to be an awful yeah. lot of people out in the cafes at every every time of day and, and night. The working week is one of the shortest in Europe. The holiday entitlement is one of the highest in Europe. The retirement age, even after this reform goes through, will be one of the lowest in Europe. You know, what's not to like? The economy does do fairly well. Living standards, I'd say, would be comparable to those in Britain, probably slightly better. But there is a problem, and the problem is that the, there is a huge government debt. If one looks at the figures, the, the share of, of GDP accounted for by the debt in France is something like 111 or so percent, compared, I think, to just under 100 percent in Britain you know there is a sense in which france is is living beyond its means the amount of money also that the state is having to pay to service that debt is going up and up because interest rates are going up if you look at the size of the debt you divide it by the number of people in france just paying the interest on it is about 700 pounds or something per person per year just paying that interest is the second biggest item of expenditure after education so it's, there's a sense in which it's unsustainable. Macron's aim is to stabilise the debt, to get it down, you know, to stop France living beyond its means. But it's, you know, it's a struggle.
1: Peter, tell me, how much money does the government hope to save through this reform?
2: Well, the irony of this is, is, is not a huge amount. The latest estimates say, well, it's probably only going to save about $10 billion Euros And critics of it say, well, you know, this is actually a drop in the ocean if you compare it with the 300 billion that the government spent on various measures to keep the economy going through COVID. And that we're having all this social strife over what is actually a relatively small amount of money. Where is public
1: opinion on this? Does public opinion support Macron? And, and how how is he coping with the uh, the violence on the streets?
2: Public opinion is still overwhelmingly against the pension reform. There may only be 1 million people out on the streets, which is a tiny majority of the French population. But if you look at any opinion poll, if people are asked whether they approve of raising the pension age, you probably get anything upwards of about 60, 70% of people who are opposed. Macron himself is... You know, he's not a particularly popular president. The first time when he was first elected in 2017, there was indeed genuine enthusiasm. Here was some new, fresh face who came not from the sort of traditional parties. He was going to shake things up. I think that most of that appeal had gone uh, by the time that he was was re-elected.
1: Coming up, we're next for Emmanuel Macron. That's in just a moment.
0: Hello, I'm Jane Mulkerins, Associate Editor of The Times Magazine. Every week in our award-winning magazine, we bring you revealing, in-depth interviews with the biggest names in politics, entertainment, and sport, along with in-depth features and our brilliant columnists. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward
1: slash stories of our times.
0: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile.
1: Peter, you've said that this is about the pension age, but it's also about more than the pension age reform. You've written recently that it's also about a breakdown of the French social contract that's existed since the end of the Second World War. Explain the background to that.
2: Every country has its kind of political culture and expectations of what the government does for them and what they do for themselves. The French psyche, certainly as it's developed since the Second World War, has been one in which, certainly if you compare it with Britain, the state is a much more important factor. The state takes care of a lot more in people's lives than the British state does. You know, there's a sort of a a social contract, one could say, between the people and the government. On one side, taxes, social security contributions are high. I mean, in France, something like 57% of GDP is spent by the state, way up on the the European average, which is, I think, only 52% and certainly way, way above the figure in Britain. So people pay a lot of money in taxes, they pay a lot of money in social security contributions. In return, they expect a lot from the state. Good healthcare, they expect good public services. And crucially, they expect to be able to retire relatively early, when they're still in good health, when they can look after grandchildren, when they can maybe be involved in charities or pursuing their own kind of passions or whatever. Do we want to work until we are 64 or not? You know, And I choose to not. There's a, maybe also a, a different attitude towards work here. There's something that a lot of commentators have uh, have seized on. I remember when discussion first started about the pension reforms, there was a lot of headlines in Britain and and a number of other foreign countries saying, are the French lazy? This week, we're going to focus on a reputation that France has, that of being a country that's on strike all the time.
0: The French almost never work. There's the 35-hour week, all that vacation time, and of course, those major lunch breaks with wine.
2: A majority of French people take more than 30 minutes for their lunch break during the working week, and a lot of them take a lot more than that. I remember reading a commentary in one French paper here saying, no, it's not that we're lazy. It's just that our attitude to work is such as that we see it as something which we have to do, which is an obligation, but which we want to basically finish as soon as we can.
1: Since the 80s, we've seen some nibbling away at the edges of this social contract. W- what is the state of it at the
2: moment? There have been attempts to, to, to cut away some of these benefits. I mean, one could draw comparisons between what's going on now with the attempts that were made by Jacques Chirac, the Gaulist you know, right of centre president who came in in 1995, and he too tried to raise the retirement age, and he had, to, he had to give up in the face of massive protests on the streets. Millions took to the streets to protest welfare reforms. Paris crippled, transport ground to a halt. What's going to happen now? I don't know. I think it's, uh, you know,
0: they have to decide themselves, you know, try to listen.
2: Very much comparable with the protests that we've got at the moment. But there have been subsequent attempts that have cut away some of the French privileges, some of the benefits that they enjoyed. But life in France does really remain comfortable compared to that in a lot of other European countries. People enjoy considerable benefits. I mean, the, the, the French health system works very well. The French transport system works very well. In one level, one could say the social contract does very much remain intact.
1: The battle over the the social contract continues. The protests continue. Macron isn't backing down. I wondered, does he care about the image and the legacy? Or because he can't be re-elected again, does he just think this is the right thing to do?
2: This is his second and final term. So the French president, like the American president, can't serve a third term. He is obviously conscious of his legacy, in an interview that he gave on on French television last week. His message essentially was, look, I know this is not popular. A lot of my predecessors have just kind of tried to sweep this problem under the
0: carpet.
2: We have got to tackle it. And so this reform is necessary. And I say this to the French people. I don't enjoy doing this. I would prefer not to do this. But it is also because of a sense of responsibility. There's a sense in which he feels, I think, that this is very much the right thing to do. And he's going to press it through right to the end, despite protests on the streets. Where
1: do you see this going? Will we look back and see this as a really significant moment in French political
2: life? It really depends on what happens over the next few weeks, because we're in a situation now where we tend to have one general strike per week. This week's general strike had lower attendance than the previous week's general strike. So the government will be hoping that this is the beginning of of a downward trend, that people will realise that the the measure has been passed by parliament, that it's going to go through and they've got got to accept it. We shall see whether that happens. The reform itself is in a sort of a limbo now because although it's gone through parliament, It's now in the hands of the the Constitutional Council, a legal body which kind of scrutinizes the legality of legislation, and that's got a few weeks to to make its decision. The expectation is that it it will approve the reform as being perfectly constitutional. The big question is, will the protests still be continuing? Will the people still be so angry? We've got Easter coming up, the Easter holidays, a lot of French people go away that might act as a kind of a, a firebreak. Maybe when they come back from holiday, they won't be quite so angry, but it's, it's still all to play for.
1: And I wonder what it means looking forward for the political landscape in, in France. Macron's victory last April was seen as a victory for, for the moderates. Does this ultimately play into the hands of the extremes on, on left or right?
2: That is one of the big concerns here. French Politics over the last 50, 60, 70 years or whatever has been essentially a battle between a left of center candidate and a right of center candidate. Macron destroyed that system by sort of emerging in the middle, in the process of essentially destroying the moderate left and destroying the moderate right. The real question is, what does this mean for, for Marine Le Pen, who has stood in I think, four presidential elections so far she has increased her share of the vote each time she's been playing this very very carefully
0: the fact that they deployed article 493 after trumpeting everywhere that they had a solid majority demonstrates at the same time their invalidity their incompetence their total lack of respect for democracy
2: emmanuel macron must be defeated her party, the National Rally, has been stridently opposing the pension reform, but they've also been very careful not to get involved in any of the street violence. So in, in a sense, they're getting the best of both worlds. The expectation or fear, depending on how you want to put it, is that this is really going to play into her hands and really strengthen her chances in the next election.
1: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Sean O'Neill, and my guest, Sunday Times Europe editor, Peter Conradi. You can find all of Peter's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producers were James Shield and Olivia Case. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. Have a great weekend.